We're glad that you're here, and we're in a series called Through the Eyes of a Lion, and if Pastor Conway hadn't been blessing us through Revelation, has that been good to you to see how Revelation can also be practical? It has been a great series, and we're not done today. We have a special guest. One of our teaching pastors has come in town today, and he's going to be sharing with us. Then Pastor Conway will be returning next week to continue the series on Revelation as well. So I want to ask you at every campus if you could help welcome our teaching pastor. His name is Pastor Brian Loritz. Let's welcome him to the stage, everyone. Always good being with you, one community church family. Typically when I come, I give you hard, a hard time about your Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> I ain't got much to say right now. Y'all having a good year. But I want to quote my favorite pastor, Stephen A. Smith. <laughs> Just be patient. What can go wrong will go wrong. <laughs> What a joy it is to be here with you all. I give honor and glory to God for all that he's doing through this church. Uh, you all never cease to amaze me. It's just amazing just the different ways God is moving. Um, and the, the new stuff you all are doing. I mean, that video, Grandmama, boy. <laughs> she told it like it T.I. is, didn't she? <laughs> Y'all beating the brakes off of kids. 14 to nothing, man. Unbelievable. But seriously, there's... There's so much that's happening here, and I tell you this every single time, but don't take it for granted. Amen. Don't take it for granted. There's a lot of dead churches out there, and God is up to something right here at this church, and be sure to whisper a thank you, Jesus, for what he's doing here and to continue to pray for your leadership. I'm also grateful, one of my closest friends in the world, we've been doing life for close to 30 years now. Um, he's here today, uh, Mark Little and his lovely wife, Tigra, uh, at our Plano campus. Um, how many people know that you need people in your life who know you? Um, I'm glad you're having quiet times, but you need people in your life who know you, who know your struggles, uh, who won't just pat you on the back, but won't kick you to the streets either, uh, who will be a safe place, but will call you up in Jesus' name. And that's what, that's what Mark is to me. Well, I, um, a couple weeks ago, I called, I called Pastor Conway, and I said, well, what do you want me to preach on? And I was hoping he'd say, man, you just got a blank uh, you know, sheet of paper, whatever the Lord wants to give you, that's fine. And uh, he said, no, I actually need you to preach on Revelation. I was like, say what? <laughs> and he says, no, I want you to preach on Revelation. And so I want you to meet me in Revelation chapter 12, uh, and I'm excited to share this word with you. Um, as I was just studying the text for my own, preparing to be with you all, uh, God, God has begun and is doing through the study of this text that I'm going to share with you a deep work in my own heart and life. And so if no one leaves here blessed, at least one person will. But I guarantee you that God is, God's going to do a work as he speaks through us through Revelation chapter 12. Let me pray for us and off we go. Father, we thank you. We praise you for what you're doing in this church for every life changed, for every person who's gotten saved. We praise you on credit for all of those people who are going to come and go public with their faith through the sacrament of baptism here in a couple of weeks, Lord God. 
We're going to rejoice, Lord God, for how you're moving in this church, for what you're doing, Lord God. All across our various campuses, we give you praise, honor, and glory. Now, Lord God, would you unfold your word to us today? You made a promise in your word. Here's the promise that you said, that your word will not return void. It won't come back empty. That it will do what it has been ordained to do. So I pray, Lord God, as the seed of your word is scattered today, that it would fall on good ground, that it would take root, that it would bear fruit, that you would ultimately change us through your word today. So today, Lord God, that I'm available to you. I pray in the name of Jesus that uh, you would use me, stand in my body, think with my mind, speak with my tongue, those things you would have us no say and do. It's in Jesus' name I ask, amen, amen. and amen. True story. In 2009, there was an Israeli woman by the name of Anat. Anat, at that time, had a young adult daughter who wanted to bless her mother, Anat, uh, with several things. One of the things her daughter wanted to do was she was tired of seeing her mother sleep on the same old mattress she had always slept on from the time Anat's daughter could remember. So unbeknownst to her mother, she decided to purchase a new mattress for her mother. Uh, while her mother was out, the mattress was delivered. The people who delivered the mattress also took away the old mattress and they left. A couple days later, um, Anat's mother was back in town and her daughter unveiled the surprise to her and um, she was... She was a little bit disappointed in how her mother, Anat, responded. Her mother, Anat, was not happy at all. When her daughter asked her what's wrong, her mother, Anat, said, Sweetheart, you didn't know this, but I had in that mattress that you threw away, I'd been storing my life's savings to the tune, again, true story, of almost $1 million dollars. And here, this mattress is in some landfill, which they never found. And the tragedy of the story is Anat had been sleeping on riches that she was never able to personally benefit from. I have a concern today, and my concern is simply this, that there are so many of us who name the name of Jesus Christ who are sleeping on riches that we are not applying in our day-to-day -day lives. Well, what are those riches? The Bible says when you got saved that there has been laid up for us an inheritance in the heavenly places. Paul would go on to say in the Ephesians, to the Ephesians, he would say this, that when we got saved, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is available to you and I. Would you think about that for a moment? The same power that raised a dead Jesus, you and I have access to. Paul would go on to say, hear me now, that you and I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You and I don't lack for resources. It's applying those resources to the day-to-day -day situations of our lives. And here now is the irony. I'm not just speaking of you all. I'm including myself in the number. The great irony, there I say, the great tragic irony is so many of us at various points of our lives find ourselves ensnared in cycles of defeat when we have all kinds of riches at our disposal. 
Some of you are really frustrated. Why can't I, why can't I be free of that addiction? That addiction to alcohol or that addiction to, to drugs. Others of you are saying, I'm saved. But why can't I stop looking at pornography? Others of you are, are saying, I'm, I'm saved and have received the forgiveness of God through Christ. But why can't I forgive other people? Why is it that bitterness has gotten a root in my own life and I can't freely pass on to others what I have freely received from Christ? Why is it that I have been blessed with all of these resources but I find myself not living a life of victory but living a life of defeat? We come now to the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation is a part of what we would call a genre of scripture known as apocalyptic literature. It's also kind of known as being a part of the prophetic. Now the whole point of the prophetic or apocalyptic literature is not to be speculative. It's not academic. It's not theoretical. It is intensely ethical and practical. The, the whole point of Revelation, I'll say it like this, ever, ever seen a movie once, maybe a suspense movie, and then you saw it again a second time with a person who hasn't seen it before? And you all are sitting there watching the same movie, but there's a sense of anxiety that your friend has. They're wondering what's going to happen. Their heart rate, their blood pressure may be elevated, and yet here you are watching the same movie, but you're calm, cool and collected. What's the difference between you two? Well, you know the outcome of the movie. That's the purpose of the book of Revelation. Revelation is given to us to fast forward to show us the outcome. And the outcome is we win. And so the fact that we know we win is meant to give us peace in the midst of the suspenseful, highly problematic life. Believers aren't supposed to be freaking out. We know how this baby ends. It ends because we win. We have victory. So that's why I love what Pastor Con Conway has been saying to us all throughout. He's been talking about the need to be alert and practical things we need to be doing. Now, I want us to go through this, and I promise you, I'm, I'm going to come to your home. I'm going to, I'm going to walk right into your house. I'm going to put my feet up on your coffee table. We are going to get extremely practical, but before we get there, we have to rightly divide the word of truth. We have to understand what is before us. Our text is filled with all kinds of imagery. Look at verse 1. John begins by saying, and a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of stars. Now, this is crazy, Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. This is bizarre language. This isn't bedtime reading. And you're left to wonder, who is this woman who is clothed with the sun and with the moon and has under her feet, not red-bottomed shoes, but, but she has on her crown of 12 stars. Who is this woman? Well, this is language taken from Genesis chapter 37, verse 9. In Genesis chapter 37, we meet a man named Joseph. Joseph has 11 brothers. They are the 12 sons of Jacob. Jacob's name would later be changed to Israel. 
Notice now in Genesis chapter 37, verse 9, don't lose me, Joseph, one of the 12 sons of Israel, says to his 11 brothers, look at it, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Hear the language. Behold the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Same language as Revelation 12, which means this. Whoever this woman is, she's Jewish. You got the connection? She's of Israel. But still, who is she? Verse 2 presses in and gives us more detail. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on his heads, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth, watch it now, to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Verse 1, we know this woman is Jewish. Verse 2, she's in the agony of childbirth. She's giving birth, the text says, to a male child. This male child will rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Don't check out on me. He'll rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and there's a great dragon waiting to devour him, which means this. That male child is Jesus. And there's only one woman who birthed Jesus, Mary. You tracking with me so far? Here's Mary giving birth to Jesus. Now we're introduced to the dragon. Who's the dragon? Verse 9 tells us. You don't have to have to spend a day in seminary. <laughs> and the great dragon was thrown down. Who is he? That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. You with me? Satan is trying to kill Jesus. Keep reading verse 17. We're in the text. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Get the picture. The woman is a Jew who gives birth to Jesus, which means the woman is Mary. Jesus is being attacked by Satan. Satan is frustrated because as we know, he loses. He gets thrown down to earth, but he ain't done. He is now making war on the offspring of the woman. Who are the offspring of the woman? Everyone who is in Christ. Which means, and I know you ain't going to shout. When you got saved, when you were born again, you did not get saved in a quiet, safe, serene, comfortable environment. You were born in the midst of a war. Yeah. 
Satan has an agenda on your life. He wants to, as Jesus talked about, to steal, kill, and destroy. He has an assignment on your life. There's an assignment on you. In fact, Paul writing to the Ephesians says it this way. Ephesians 6 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Got it? That means your husband ain't your enemy. Your wife ain't your enemy. That mama-in-law who's coming to visit this Thanksgiving and will break dance on your last nerve ain't your enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, here it is, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a real enemy waiting to attack you. In fact, Daniel says this, I believe it's Daniel chapter 10, he's interceding on behalf of the people of God, he's praying, and all of a sudden the angel Michael showed up a couple days later. The angel Michael said to Daniel, I'm so sorry, I'm late. I got hung up dealing with the prince of Persia. Don't miss this. Who's the prince of Persia? It is a demon. Watch it now. And Persia tells us that this demon has been assigned an actual physical location. Which means any healthy theology of demons in the Bible says, yes, they're real, but they also have assignments to literal, physical places. There are demons assigned to your household. There are demons assigned to your children. There are demons assigned at your job. And if I'm Satan, I want you to hear, I want you to listen to this and think to yourself, yeah, right. Because if I can get you to ignore me, I've got you. But hear me, followers of Christ need not fear. Why? The text tells us, verse 8, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Followers of Jesus, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. That is a difference. He is defeated. Now, now some of you are very theologically astute and sophisticated, and you go, but, but Brian, he was defeated in heaven. I don't live in heaven. I live on earth. One of the things the Bible teaches us, one of the things Revelation teaches us, one of the things Revelation 12 teaches us is there is a connection between heaven and earth. There is a connection between the invisible and the visible. There is a connection between the spiritual and the natural. Jesus understood this, which is why he taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Hear it on earth as it is. In heaven. So, so I have a financial advisor. I have a financial advisor, and she gave me a wonderful cheat code uh, lately, uh, and I want to share this cheat code with you as well. My wife and I are sitting down with our financial advisor. She has access to all of our information. She knows really too much. She's all up in our business. And so she says to us not too long ago, she says to us, hey, hey Brian, I want you to do me a favor. I see you've got several um, savings accounts. I actually want you to, to open another savings account. I'm like, that's odd. Why do I need another one? She says, just be quiet. I'm going to tell you why you need another one. So she gives me the name of the savings account she wants me to open up. I'd never heard of this bank before in my life. 
So I asked her, I've never heard this bank before in my life. Is there a location near me that I can drive to? She goes, no. There is not a location. It's, it's solely online. There are no bricks and mortar. You can't drive there. You can't stand in line there. There's no paperwork, no deposit slips you need to fill out. It is a place you will never literally see. She says it's a cheat code because it has no bricks and mortar. It has low overhead. And because it has low overhead, you actually get a higher yield on your investment. And so every single month, by faith, my wife and I draft money from a physical place and we transfer it to a place we've never seen before. We are laying up treasure in another place we've never seen before. And there have been times in our journey where we have been in need in our physical place. And so what we've done is we've taken the resources from a place we've never been to before and we've applied it to where we are. Now here's what I love. Because it's in the cloud, because I've never been there, I don't drive there, I don't stand in line there, I don't feel anything out there, I just take out my device anywhere I'm at. I could be in my car, in my home, at my job, and I can get access to the resources. Here's what this text is saying. Satan has been defeated in the heavenlies. There are resources in the heavenlies. When you find yourself in need, you have access to the heavenlies. You can't drive there, you can't stand in line there. You don't need to fill out any paperwork. All you need to do is to take out your device called prayer. Baby, you can be in your car. You can be in your shower. You can be in the closet and simply apply in the natural what is yours in the supernatural. There's victory. It's yours. One of the things this text teaches us is, is there is an assignment of the demonic. One of the words, the key words of this text is opposition. One of the things we learn about Satan in this text is whenever we see him, there's war. There's conflict. There's opposition. In fact, the name Satan means adversary. His nature is to oppose. His nature is to cause conflict. Now this is important for us. Look again at verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Now, if I were to stop right there, it would make it sound like every single Christian is going to be under demonic attack. That's not true. There's only a certain kind of Christian who is deemed worthy of demonic attack. Just read the text. Who does Satan attack? Those who keep the commandments of God. And hold to the testimony of Jesus. Somebody's thinking right now, well, shoot, I'm not going to obey then. <laughs> Get the picture. Satan only attacks those who are walking in obedience. Which means this. Ever gone through a season of opposition, and I don't know about you, when problems come to my, to my house, they never come by themselves. 
They bring their mama, their daddy, their aunties, their uncles. Ever going through a season where it's one thing after another, after another, after another, and, and you had this thought, what am I doing wrong? This text actually teaches the exact opposite. Because what this text tells us is that oftentimes, opposition is confirmation that you are right where you need to be doing exactly what you need to be doing. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6, this great passage on spiritual warfare, what does Paul say in the middle of spiritual warfare? Stand. He doesn't say run. Stand. And having done all, stand. Which means you're right where you're supposed to be doing exactly what you should be doing. Let's go a little deeper. Satan is opposing us. What are his instruments of opposition to? Satan opposes us. How? Verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. Here it is. The deceiver of the world. Satan is making war. What are his weapons of warfare? Deception. The word deceit, it means to lead astray. This word deceiver is actually in the present active, which means this. He, he wants to continually lead you further and further and further astray. Deceit begins with incremental compromise. Deceit always, always contains a kernel of truth. That's how he leaves the door open. In fact, when we first see Satan in the Garden of Eden, what does he say to, to Eve? He doesn't say God didn't say. He says, did God really say? He wants to just kind of open the door to a little bit of doubt. As I look at our culture, I see three ways Satan is deceiving us. There's hundreds of ways. Let me just give you three. Number one, there is a phrase I want you to never use that I'm hearing so many people who say they're Christians use. It is the phrase, my truth. It's a demonic deception. I'm fine with my experience. I'm fine with my perspective. But Jesus did not say he was a truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the truth, the truth, and the life. When I say my truth, I dumb down truth and put it on a level of humanity. So you tell your truth, you tell your truth, you tell your truth, you tell your truth. I was sharing the gospel the other day with, with, with a Muslim. He was driving me, to, he was driving me to, to, uh, to, to the airport. And I'm asking him, what do you think about Jesus? And he says, well, we, we believe Jesus existed. And, and, and we believe he was a prophet. And, and, and we, we believe he was a good man. And, and, and he asked me, what do I believe? I said, we, we believe Jesus Christ. Christ is the son of God. I cannot end that conversation going, that's your truth and that's my truth. No, we are saying two very different things about the same person. Both can't be right. There is truth. Try driving 75 and a 45, get pulled over by the cops and say, excuse me, can I just take a moment to share with you my truth? 
while you sharing, he's going to write that ticket. Second deception. My truth, my therapist. Hear me, I'm all for therapy. I go to therapy. My wife goes to therapy. My kids go to therapy. My dog's trying to go to therapy. We believe. We believe in therapy. We go. Here's my concern. My concern is we are substituting therapists for the Holy Spirit. See, if I'm Satan, here's what I want you to do. Got suicidal thoughts? Don't even think about me. Got depression, got anxiety? Don't even think about me. Here's what I want you to do. If I'm Satan, here's, here's the lie I want you to believe. That you pay $150 an hour to sit down with a human being who will give you a prescription for human man-made resources and you will address symptoms but never get to the demonic root. I'm not saying every case of depression is demonic. I'm not saying every suicidal thought is ultimately What I am saying here is Satan wants us to bring a knife to a gunfight. The weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, are not of the flesh. So you better learn to go to therapy, come home and slap some oil on your head. You better go to therapy and fast. Because Jesus says there are certain things this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Third deception. My truth, my therapist, my body. I get to wear what I want. I get to sleep with who I want. I get to put my hands on who I want. They get to put their hands on me if I love them. It's my body. I want you to hear, hear me say this. And I say it with great grace. That my body lie has led some of you to abortion clinics. And I want you to receive the grace of God. Bible says as far as the east is from the west, your sins have been forgiven. Some of you men have paid for and participated in abortions. I want you to hear me. We serve a forgiving God that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet Satan, that great deceiver, has perpetuated a lie that it is your body and that deceit has led to the slaughter of millions of babies. And what he wants the body of Christ to do is to only address it legislatively. Yes, I do think we should do some work there. We got to get to the heart. It's not your body. That's why Paul would tell the Corinthians, do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit 
that you've been bought with a price and that from God. God determines the actions in my body. Now watch the progression. Satan is called the deceiver, but that's not it. There's something else he wants to do. And verse 10, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Watch what it calls Satan. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Watch it now. Who accuses them day and night before our God. What is Satan up to in your life? He whispers deceit. He wants to lead you astray and astray and astray. And when you sin, he's not done. He accuses you. There are voices of accusation and he accuses you. Why is he accusing you? The Bible says he accuses you day and night. Why is he accusing you? Because he wants to get you ensnared, not just in guilt. He wants to get you ensnared in shame. You know the difference between guilt and shame? Guilt says what I did was bad. Shame says I am bad. So he, point, he puts demonic voices on repeat to get you enmeshed in shame. Why? Because Satan understands this. You will only live to the level of your thoughts. If he gets your mind, it's game over. Some, some of you right now, you have demonic voices. Over stuff you did in your past. The hookups, the addictions. And Satan, day and night. Others of you, your demonic voice has nothing to do with with what you've done, it's what someone said to you that stuck in your spirit. That mother who didn't believe in you, that father who said you would be nothing. Some of you, you look in the mirror and you, you don't like what you see, body shaming stuff and the voices of accusation happens and it's led you to eating disorders. Some of you come in here and there's this deep down gender confusion and the demonic voices of accusation are saying to you, you're damaged goods. Some of you, what's, what's playing on repeat is something that ex-spouse, that ex-boyfriend, that ex-girlfriend said to you and they verbally and mentally and emotionally abused you and those words stuck in your spirit. Others of you, it's something kids said in jest years ago, but it never left your mind. Day and night. Hear it. The power of accusations lies in the audience. It only depends on who you're being accused to. There's a head football coach of the Michigan football team. He's being accused of stealing the plays from other teams and using it to his advantage. That accusation was made to the governing body of college football. Therefore, that's serious. 
But if I knocked on his next door neighbor's house and said, I want you to know the head football coach next to you, this is what he's been doing, that next door neighbor is going to shrug his shoulders. Nothing's going to be done. Why? Because the power of accusations only lies in who you make the accusations to. Who is Satan accusing you to? Verse 10, look at your Bibles. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, watch it now, who accuses them night and day to who? Our God. Get the progression. Satan deceives us, leads us astray. We sin, then he drags us into the courtroom before our judge God. And he accuses you. But here's what Satan doesn't realize. First John says that when we sin, I like it, not if we sin, when we sin, we have an advocate. That word advocate means we have a court-appointed lawyer. Who is that lawyer? That lawyer's name is Jesus. So when Satan drags you into the courtroom and he says, God, Sherry has gotten drunk this week. Our lawyer, Jesus, says, objection, your honor. I'm not objecting to what she did. What she did was wrong. But my objection is Sherry is covered by the blood. Someone else he drags into court says, your honor, Terry has been looking at pornography this week. Jesus says, objection, your honor. Terry did look at pornography, but it's covered by the blood. And if it's covered, it's paid for. That's why John says, verse 11, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they have loved not their lives even unto death. How do I access resources? When you sin, you need to know. You need to become your favorite podcast preacher in which you declare over myself, Father, I did it, but I'm covered. Father, I said it, but I'm covered. And if I'm covered, I've conquered. God has more mercy than you have mess. Satan reminds you of your past, you need to remind him of his future. There is nothing you have done, are doing, or will ever do that will make God get rid of you. You have a lawyer. His name is Jesus. And that lawyer is a different lawyer. Because that lawyer actually loves you and died on a cross for you. How do I conquer? Let's go home on this. I'm covered by the blood. He says we've also conquered. Watch it now. By the word of our testimony. Testimony simply means to be a witness to what God's done. Now, I grew up on a little... A little chocolate church on the south side of Atlanta. A little, little small church. We, we didn't have all this sophisticated stuff. We didn't have cushioned seats. and We had pews, and we didn't, we didn't even have air conditioning. Our air conditioning was a little wooden stick that had a piece of cardboard stapled to it. 
And on the one side of one, on, on one side of it, it had a picture of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And on the other side was an advertisement for a funeral home. You got it. You got it. You got it. Come on now. I know. I know we in Plano, but anybody can go back with me to the funeral home days. And we'd have a testimony service where they'd open up the mic, and let's just be honest, some folk didn't need to get to the mic. Because sometimes the saints would get out of order. I remember one time one, one, one lady testified about how she had hit the numbers that week. And she was there to give her tithe off of her winnings to God. I think we got put on testimony timeout. But I would watch old mother so-and-so shuffle up. She would say, first giving honor and glory to God who is the head of my life. She'd talk about the pain in her body. And how God, her healer, showed up and healed her body. I'd watch Deacon so-and-so come to the microphone and say how just that week he didn't have money to pay his bills. He fell on his face and called out to Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, walked to the mailbox, and there was an unexpected check. God had provided manna from heaven. And I'd listen to those testimonies, and I'd be like, strengthened in my faith. And I'd say to myself, if he could do it for them, he can do it for me. Then I got older and I had to start trusting God for myself. And I started living life and trying to do this thing called adulthood. And from time to time, I would find myself squeezed in between life's proverbial rock and hard place. I remember some years ago, Pastor Matt, my son, getting diagnosed at St. Jude's Children's Hospital of a rare blood disease that they said the doctors, these world-class experts said, was no cure for. It would just be a part of his life. For five years, we were at St. Jude's. Five years praying. Five years calling out to God. Then January of 2015, we were there for the annual checkup, and the doctors spent eight hours looking at tests, scratching their heads. And finally, they had to confess for all of their learning and expertise, we can't figure this out. But your son has a clean bill of health. And I want you to know I've got a testimony that God has done some things in my life. I look back over my shoulder and I see that he's brought me a mighty long way. And I want you to know you are here today because of the faithfulness of God. So when my kids were small, we had a little staircase in our home there in Memphis. They'd stand a few steps up and I'd say, come on, jump. Daddy's got you. And they'd shake their head, no, daddy, no, daddy. Voices of doubt. And I'm saying, no, no, trust me, daddy's got you. No, daddy, no, daddy. And back and forth. And finally they jumped. And I'd catch them and I'd go, gotcha. And then these jokers would go back to the stairs <laughs> and climb a little higher. And they'd jump and I'd go, gotcha. And then they'd run and go a little higher. Gotcha. 
And then they get real high, and I said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Because if I drop you, your mama's going to divorce me. What gave them such confidence? I had established a testimony, a track record of faithfulness. If I could catch them once, I could catch them again. You are here today not because of the letters behind your name or the car you drive or the money in your bank account. You are here today because as my grandmama used to say, God has kept you from danger seen and unseen. here today and there's voices of accusation that have torn away your confidence voices maybe of stuff you've done in your past voices of maybe people in your past and they're on repeat and you've listened to those voices and it has stripped you of your confidence to jump if you're here today I want to pray and you would say yes pastor there's voices of accusations in my mind and I want to be free of them today I'm not going to manipulate this moment if that's you, would you come meet me at the altar? I want to pray. There's voices of accusation that you've been wrestling with and dealing with. Would you come meet me at the altar? I, I want to pray. I want to pray. Voices, voices of accusation. Maybe something a daddy said. Maybe something a mama said. Maybe, maybe that voice of accusation was related to an experience. Maybe it was related to an act of abuse. Those voices are on repeat. Someone's here today, maybe you just got a job and there's, there's a voice of accusation that has caused doubt and you're saying, I don't think I can do this. God wants you to be free today. Still coming, God wants you to be free. Someone here today, even that voice is talking to you right now and there's a tug of war in your spirit and you know you should be here. But Satan doesn't want you to take the first literal step because he knows that first literal step is a figurative step on your way to experiencing victory over those voices in your life. Today is the day of freedom. Still coming, still coming. 
I need you to be real sensitive in this moment. Because whenever we deal with the demonic, he will always do whatever he can to distract us. Don't let him use you as a distraction. If you're in your seats, I want you to stand. If you're in your seats, I want you to stand. I need you to help me with their deliverance. A while ago, I was watching the Discovery Channel and there was a lion running after a young wildebeest, trying to kill it. And I thought to myself, this wildebeest is done. And then the most beautiful thing happened. The adult wildebeest formed a circle around the young wildebeest. And that lion slammed on its brakes and stopped frustrated. And went away with an empty stomach. First Peter chapter 5 says, our enemy goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan is not trying to wound you. He's trying to kill you. But we need not fear him. He's been defeated. So if you're in the audience, just like those adult wildebeest formed a circle, I want you to grab the hand of the person next to you. And if you can, if you could even stretch out across the aisles. I, 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 want, I want my friends who have come down front, I want them to see a picture in the natural, what we are praying God is going to do for them in the supernatural. Want them to see that they are surrounded. There is a host warring on their behalf. So all over this room, the Bible says one can put a thousand to flight. Two can put ten thousand to flight. I'm not just going to pray. All over this room, I want us to pray. I want us to storm the gates of hell and pray that our brothers and sisters would be free from these demonic voices of accusation. All over this room right now, out loud, I want us to pray. Out loud. Out loud. Out loud. In the name of Jesus. Don't check out on God. Don't think about your lunch plans all over this room right now. Pray as if your prayer can set someone free. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come against every demonic assignment in the name of Jesus. We don't come in our own strength. We don't come in our own name. We come in the name that is above every other name. 
There's not power in my name. There's not power in anybody else's name. But at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every, not some, not most, not many. Every knee shall bow and every tongue must confess. That includes Satan and his fallen angels. They are bowing. So we walk in our authority right now in the name of Jesus. We come against every demonic voice, every demonic thought, every voice of accusation right now in the name of Jesus. We reclaim our minds from Satan and put it under your authority. Romans 12 says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Isaiah says you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So we put our minds not on what Satan is saying, but we put our minds on what you say about us. God, what do you say about us? Here's what you say. You're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You're my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. As far as the east is from the west is as far as I have removed your sins from you. That I have saved you, I have adopted you, and you are in my hand, and no one can pluck you from my hands. And we name that and we claim that right now. Lord God, we also pray this. If we have created any demonic pathways, through what we watch, through what we purchase, through what we buy. God, we rid that right now in the name of Jesus. Every single demonic influence, we rid it right now in the name of Jesus. We pray for our children right now in the name of Jesus. We come against generational curses and we say it stops right now. Just because granddaddy did it and daddy did it doesn't mean my kids will do it. Today is a new day, a day of freedom, a day of confidence, a new beginning right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is how I find my back. This is how I find my back. This is how I fight my battles. Oh, this is how I fight my battles. Oh, this is how I fight my battles. Yes, this is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. 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 This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. This is how I. Oh, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded 
Father, right now we declare victory in this house today. We declare freedom. We declare peace. God, we declare the blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony. So God, right now we give you thanks that it's not our strength and our power, but we fight our battles through our worship. We fight our battles through our devotion to you. We fight our battles by remembering your blood that was shed for us. So today, right now, God, we give you thanks. We worship you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We give God thanks. Even as you slowly go back to your seats, I want you to give somebody a hug. Just encourage them in the Lord. Encourage them that we have each other covered. We've got a couple more things we're going to do, but take your time getting back to your seats. God thanks. We give God thanks. We praise God. Family, thank you for standing and locking arms and hands to draw a picture of what it looks like to be covered. Also, as we continue on, I just want to see if you could just um, thank God for that powerful message from Pastor Brian today. Amen. Um, one of the things that we get an opportunity to do every single month is as a family, as a church body, as a unit, what we get to do is welcome new people who say we're ready to link arms also. And today, what we're going to do before you leave is welcome some of our newest family members, newest members of our church, and Jennifer's going to introduce us to them. So if you could stand tight for just a couple moments, we'll be ready. So this morning, we want to welcome Tonlincia Johnson, Marley Cammy, Isaiah Richard, Tiffany Feigl, Amina Feigl, Chris Washington, Jerome Jones, 
Antonio Williams, Nicole Williams, Aiden Williams, Talia Dudley, Akira Johnson, Tawana C.A., Jesse Beckham, Raphael Barlow, Shamatra Barlow, Felissa Bicey, Jay Riser, and Lauren Riser. We also want to welcome Michaela Thomas, Gerald Thompson, Robin Thompson, Viola Jones, Melissa Thomas, Melissa Perkins, Carnell Hardy, Pearl Hardy, Robert Taylor, Linda Taylor, Trinity Crook, Monique Adenike, Abraham Ovi, Tavaria Shaw, Brianne Marshall, Latoya Walton, Angela Brewer, Kashana Woods, Topaz Uluji, Tori Sutton, Sienna Robinson, Ashley Che, Tevin Cooper, Sandrante Locke, Ray Locke, Hannah Jameson, Crystal McKinney, Roy McKinney, and Delexis Cooper. Welcome to our OCC fam. Um, welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining and being a part and a partner at One Community Church. Um, our church will never reach its full redemptive potential until every single one of us and every single one of us here is involved in partnering with what God's got for us. And we want to thank you for doing that. We are excited to see what God's going to do through you and in you while you're here at One Community Church. And um, we want to make sure you never walk alone. So you're getting a card with a phone number from one of our men here that if any time in the process you're missed or feel like you've, you, you've, you've been left out, we've got, this is the fail safe. Call this phone number. These gentlemen will help, but we're going to do everything we can to call you, text you, make sure you are fully connected. In just a moment, we dismiss. We're going to invite you up here again. I know it's going to be chaos, but it's all good. Um, can you help me again? Welcome everyone here, one family. Yes, welcome. Um, before we leave today, also just a couple things. Thanksgiving Eve service this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock here at Plano. Please RSVP so that we can plan accordingly. It's going to be a great time. And if there's any way that we could pray for you before you leave today, our prayer team and ministers will be at the front ready to receive you. Help me um, thank Pastor Brian one more time for his message. Amen. I want to encourage you now to go in grace and peace and walk in the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus. God bless you, everyone. We'll see you next weekend.